Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jude. It's a little letter. I like to call this the spooky little letter next to Revelation. I call it spooky because it's short and it's it's kind of dark, but it, 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 there's a reason for it, uh, meaning the, 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 the concepts in it, the things that are contained within it, aren't exactly the bright and cheerful things. They're really warnings of apostasy, warnings of uh, things of that nature, of judgment coming. And these are things that are never easy to digest and never easy to, to hear and to take in. But it is the Word of God, and therefore we read it, and, and I pray that this morning, um, we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning, that you would be challenged today, that your hearts would be challenged. And so let's just read the first four verses of it, because that's all we're going to get through today. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And here's the reason. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And the reason for that is verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you and we'd ask that, Lord, you would help us to understand and, and to take in all the things that you have for us this morning, Lord. Help us to be obedient to your word, Father, and we delight in reading it, and we delight in uh, tearing it apart and looking at it. So have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This little epistle that we have before us, an epistle is really just a letter. I like the word epistle because it sounds kind of highfalutin. But but I really don't like high fluting words to be honest with you. But it's a letter. It's in fact it's one of the fourth the fourth shortest book in the entire New Testament. It stands behind Philemon and Second John and Third John. They're even shorter. So it's the fourth shortest book of the Bible. It's the last of the eight general epistles or letters that we have in the New Testament. The the, the first uh, uh, general letter was the book of Hebrews. It's a letter. It's a letter to the to the Hebrews, and so that was the first general letter or epistle. And finally, this, this morning we're going to be looking at Jude, which is the final of these last epistles, these general epistles. And we believe that it was written sometime before the destruction of Jerusalem, because in the letter there is no mention of it at all that that the the, the that Jerusalem had been destroyed by Titus Vespasian in seventy A.D. You know that that happened. And it was completely destroyed, and the Jews were scattered about the Roman Empire and Asia Minor, and all over the world they were dispersed. And the date of this letter, um, we know that it is sometime um, between 68 and 70 A.D., and, and this letter actually um, came after Peter's letters, because Peter's letters came before the, the book of Jude, or this letter, because we know that because in Jude, in the 16th verse, Jude actually quotes from Peter's second epistle. In fact, if you look down with me uh, at verse 18, actually verse 16, 
Jude says these are grumblers, and we're going to be getting into the context over the next couple of weeks in this, but he says these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Speaking of these apostates, these false teachers, they, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But notice, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the verse, 18, put a star by this. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And here, in this verse specifically, Jude was quoting from the Apostle Peter in in Peter's second letter, chapter 3, verse 3 specifically. And let me just read it to you. You don't have to go there. Peter said this. He said, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. And so we we see that um, Jude now is very uh, well acquainted with Peter, the apostle, even quotes from his letter. And this letter was written actually during a time of great upheaval because we know that when Paul's letters uh, were finished, when Paul uh, was executed, he was executed under Nero. Caesar Nero um, beheaded Paul in Rome and around uh, 68 uh, A.D., and it would only be uh, about a year, actually, and there'd be three other Roman emperors after, after Nero. There'd be three other Roman emperors that would pass from the scene within months. It was a very quick, there's a lot of upheaval in, uh, in the Roman Empire at that time until finally uh, Vespasian, Titus Vespasian, uh, becomes a Roman emperor, and he is the one who actually came against Jerusalem. Uh, destroyed it and was the Roman emperor for about 10 years. And so during this time of this letter, there was a lot of upheaval. There was a lot of persecution at this time. And when we look at this letter, we see that it's from Jude. And when you think of Jude uh, or, or Judah uh, or Judas, or his name is Yehuda, if you were to say it in the Hebrew, these are all one and the same. So whenever you see Jude, Judas, Judah, or Yehuda, they all mean the same thing. And in the Bible, there's eight different people who are named Judah or Judas. And the, the name was popular for a season until Judas Iscariot. Judas was a very popular name up until that point. And the reason being is because there was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus. He was a man who led a revolt. Um, if you notice in the, in, the, in the Bible, there's two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in between, there's about a 400-year span where there's really nothing recorded. Well, Judas Maccabeus fit right into that time frame between the Testaments. And it was when Greece had come against, uh, they were the, the dominant world power at that time, and Antiochus Epiphanes IV, you remember, slaughtered a pig on the altar in the temple. And it was as a result of those things, and around that time period, that Judas Maccabeus led a revolt. And it was a successful revolt, actually. They did pretty well. But they, um, so he was a very celebrated man and everybody would name their child after Judas Maccabeus. But it wasn't until Judas Iscariot that people stopped calling their kids Jude. They're just like, let's think of what to name our baby. Uh, let's call him Michael. Anything but Jude or Judas, right? And so, but Jude is the author of this letter. And, and this is a big deal because there's a lot of, uh, uh, scholars in, in the world, uh, biblical scholars, some that know the, that know Jesus, others that don't, and, and there can be speculation on this, but I think it's good for us to take a look at this. 
Um, let me just read some things to you. We're going to go to a few places today, but let me just read a few to you. Uh, the first one is in John 7, uh, the first five verses, because we know that Jude was a brother of Jesus. He was a brother or half-brother of Jesus, actually. And before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, his brothers did not believe in him. They thought he was a madman, and so they didn't believe in him until after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It was then that they finally, it, it all clicked, and they're like, you know what? All the prophecies that the Bible is told about in the Old Testament, these things have come to pass. We have witnessed them with our own eyes. This brother of ours, our half-brother, the firstborn from Mary, he is who he said he was. Almighty God in the human flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that what John says in John 1.14? He became flesh. And so Jude is a half-brother. In fact, in, J- in John chapter 7, it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers, notice, his brothers said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing, for no one does anything in secret while he seeks him, while he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. That's written in the scripture. Jesus had brothers. He had sisters too. He had sisters. But notice, Even in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, after the ascension, what does it say? Because this is when Jesus' half-brothers, they came to faith in him. It says, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into an upper room where they were staying. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and he lists the other apostles. But then in verse 14 it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers. He had brothers. Did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Yes, he did. Don't let anybody take that away from you. And there's a reason I say that, and I'll get to that shortly. So, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said this. He says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Peter himself? So Peter had a wife, but the brothers of the Lord, there's another scripture. Write these things down because there's going to come a point where somebody's going to try and, and tell you that, 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 that Mary only had one. But the Bible clearly says the opposite. And these aren't just cousins. These aren't just relatives. They are brothers. They're half-brothers because after the virgin birth of Mary, we know that Mary and Joseph continued to have children. They continued to have children. And see, there's a doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't mean to bash Catholics here. I'm not bashing Catholics, but I'm going to bash their doctrine for a moment because the people God loves, but the doctrine is leading people astray. Some of the doctrine, a chunk of the doctrine. And here's one of them. They claim the, the perpetual virginity of Mary, saying that when she, before, she was, um, before she had Jesus, she was a virgin. While she had Jesus, she was a virgin. And after she had Jesus, she was a virgin perpetually. But that's not what the Bible says. I agree with one part of that, that before and during, of course, she was a virgin. 
but not after. Afterwards, she and Joseph had continued to have children. They continued to have children. And here are some of the scriptures. Write these down because someone's going to ask you and you need to know them. I'm going to give you all of them. And I'm just going to read a couple of them and give you the reference to a couple of them just for the sake of time. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 31, notice what it says. While Jesus was teaching in Galilee, it says in Mark chapter 3, 31, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. That was one of those situations in Jesus' ministry where they thought he was losing his mind. And so his mother and his brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to him because they thought that he was just beside himself when he was actually doing the will of God. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Write this down. Let me read it to you. Mark 6, 1 through 3. Then Jesus went out from there, and he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? And notice, verse 3, here it is. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James? Remember when we first started a year and a half ago? We started in the book of James, and you heard the same spiel before. And I'm giving it to you again, because it's important. It's important to know. Notice, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joses, Judah, or Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So now we see there's four other people and at least two sisters that he has. Because it's it's plural, isn't it? Sisters. It's not one, it's two, maybe three. Mary and Joseph had many kids afterwards, and Judah is mentioned right here in that verse. And that is the author of this letter. Write down this verse, too. We're not going to go through it, but Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 57. It's the parallel passage along with what I just read to you. And it gives their names. It gives their names. And see, I love how the Holy Spirit saw fit to make sure that every doctrine that would come, every false doctrine that would come against the Word of God has been thought of in advance. And God made sure he put the names of those people in there. Because he knew that that doctrine would come. And why is that such a big deal anyway? Well, if you think that Mary's perfect, then there's a, there's a portion of the church that believes that she is co-redeemer with Jesus. And that she's a perpetual virgin. That she's pure and holy and without spot, without blemish like her son, Jesus. There's no competition between Jesus, the Son of God, and Mary. Mary's a blessed woman, and if she could speak and come down from heaven and stand here, she'd be rebuking a lot of people for worshiping her, for adoring her, for putting her on an altar that she that does not belong to her. She, the last recorded words in Scripture are what? It's in John chapter 3. She said, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. It was at a wedding in Cana, Remember? The very last thing she said was, whatever he says, do it. I think that kind of ends it for me. Does it end it for you? She's a blessed woman, but she needed to be saved just like every other human being, just like you and I. Just like you and I. But he is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And also, when we think about James, and we think about Jude, we think about John the Baptist, All of these are relatives of Jesus. Certainly James and Jude are half-brothers. John the Baptist was a a cousin of Jesus. 
Think about the, what great evidence that is. If you were going to stand before the court of law, these three guys would stand up on a, on a, on a, on a thing like this and say, Your Honor, I believe that my brother, my half-brother, is who he said he was. i never seen him sin, because understand this. These men who grew up with Jesus at any time, if they saw him do anything that was sinful, if they saw him doing strange things, disobeying Mary and Joseph and doing his own thing, do you understand they would have every right to say, This man's a phony. I grew up with him. I saw him with the spitballs and the straw at church in the synagogue. He hit the rabbi right between the eye with that thing. (laughs) Joshua, sit down. Because that was his name, Joshua. That's what his mother and father called him. Jehovah Shua, God's salvation. But no, that didn't happen. The eureka moment came after the resurrection, after the ascension, and they're standing there, and they're putting the pieces together. They're looking back in the scriptures. Jude, James, all of them, they're, they're looking at this, and his other two brothers, they're looking at these things, and they're going, oh my goodness. What the prophets have said for hundreds of years has come to pass in our time. And they bowed their knee. They bowed their knee. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, he's the greatest master you'll ever have. He's not a taskmaster. He's not interested so much in what you do for him. He wants you. He wants you. He loves you. He wants to have the relationship with you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he proved it on the cross. He stretched out his hands. He says, I love you this much. And if I could put my arms around back, but physical bones don't allow that i would do it but that's how much i love you do you know you're loved by god this morning and especially you christian who have been serving and 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 with the lord for many years do you find yourself after many years kind of slipping into this thing where you're like you know what things are just kind of on cruise control they're kind of on autopilot and you find yourself just kind of coasting Do you know that he still loves you, even though you don't feel very holy, even though you don't feel like you're really doing anything for him? Do you know that he loves you right now where you're at? He doesn't expect you to do things to to please him. He's already pleased with you. And see, there's where our worship comes in, because when we think about what he has done for us, what he's done for me, as a result of what he did, I mean, think about it. Eternity, I'm way off point, but I'm going with it. Think about what he's done for us. I mean, he saved me, saved you from an eternity in hell. Do you understand? Hell is a real place. People don't like to talk about hell. Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else, and it is a real place. But you must come to God on his terms. And are his terms so hard? Is it so difficult? We have to deny ourselves and believe everything he said. Is it that hard? The Bible says if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you will be saved, that he died on the cross for you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you're born again. But don't stop there. You keep digging. You keep praying. You keep getting into fellowship and grow in this wonderful relationship that God has. And see, if you've been coasting and you've been getting lazy and you're no longer reading your Bible, you're not going to feel very encouraged. You're not going to feel really excited. But the message today is contend. Contend for the faith. Fight the good fight. 
Don't allow yourself to get into that place where you're just resting on your laurels, where you're resting on past victories, past things, maybe even past commitments that you've made to the Lord. Don't rest on any of that stuff. Rest, don't rest in Christ, but act today in your heart. Don't put it off. If you're already a Christian, praise the Lord, but get in the battle. Get into your, into the Word. Get into fellowship. Get into serving Him. Get going. But first, set at his feet. <laughs> set at his feet. He's not, again, he's not so much concerned about what you do for him. He's more concerned about what you allow him to do in you. Will you allow him to satiate every desire in your being? Everything. Have you given everything to him? Let me tell you, the closer we get to that point of full surrender, the greater and the more happy and fulfilled you will be as a human being. And that is the secret that very few people know. It's a secret that I'm learning, and I'm nowhere near there yet, but I'm getting there. I want to get there as soon as humanly possible, but that is the secret. It's denial of self and giving my life away, and I'll find that my life will be more fulfilled. And he's not going to send you off to the missionary field somewhere in, the, in, the, in Africa where you, where you hate to be, where you don't want to be. He knows you. He's got a plan for your life. Is he going to do something to make that you're going to hate? No, he's going to change your heart little by little, and then you're going to find yourself in the middle of his will, and you're going to feel like the most blessed person in the world. You're going to feel like, Lord, if I could pay you to do what I'm doing, I would do it, but I don't have to pay you. It's kind of the way I feel. I love doing what I get to do. If I had, if I had to, if I didn't have to live and you know and have a you know pay for bills and things like that, I'd do it for nothing. What a great vocation for all of us to be. Christ ambassadors. And so the book of Jude, he gets into this idea of um, apostates and the war and the declaration of war against apostates and the outcome of apostates, denouncing them and defending against apostates. And let's just get right into first, the first verse. It's Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. So Jude, he wrote the letter. And he could have said, Jude, a brother of Jesus Christ, and somehow made uh, the stamp of approval on his book that he's going to write, and the New York Times is going to pick it up. You know, they would have picked it up a lot quicker if he'd have said Jesus Christ's brother. But no, he says, you know what? More than anything, more than I'm just his half-brother, I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant. And, and that's the, the temptation that any one of us could have had. We could have write the letter. We could have done the salutation a lot different. Jude, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, who knew him for 33 years, who saw him, who worked with him. But notice this letter, the language in the letter. It's very evident that Jude, he knew his audience and they knew him. Look at me with verse 3. He uses words like, beloved. In verse 5, he, he uses a phrase, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this. That doesn't sound like a stranger. These are people that he knew. In verse 12, these are spots in your love feast, these apostates. So he's talking to them very intimately, and he knew his audience. They knew him. And in Jude chapter 7, or verse 17, he says, Beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own lust. He knew 
who he was speaking to. He knew why he needed to speak to them. And he called himself, notice, a bondservant. A bondservant is, in the Hebrew, it's called a, or I'm sorry, in the Greek, it's called a doulos. A doulos is somebody who willingly puts themselves under the tutelage of someone to benefit them and for for the for the furtherance of the gospel that's what a doulos is somebody who gives up their own regard and they give up their own interest to serve someone else to serve someone else and we see this in Paul's letters in Romans 1 verse 1 in Galatians 1 verse 10 in Titus 1 verse 1 in James the very first verse in Peter second Peter 1 verse 1 and here in Jude and many other places this phrase bondservant is used I'm a bondservant. I'm not so much concerned about my own will being done, but thy will be done. And there is another secret. Thy will be done. Lord, get me into the place where I'm doing your will and not just my will. Believe me, I had a will for my life. And at 24 years of age, the Lord put a fork in the road for me. I was going in a certain direction. I had a plan for my life. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And thank God he interrupted me and set me in a whole different path couldn't have known it, didn't see it coming, didn't invite it, didn't ask for it. I'm so thankful. He knew me and he knew he had a plan for me. He has a plan for you. We're all the same. None of us are different in that regard. He loves you. He has a plan. Do you know what his plan is? Are you, de- are you desiring to know what his plan is? Are you a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Regardless of your age, do you know it, it's not too late to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ? To, you know, uh, to give up all, all, you know, you don't have to give up your money. You don't have to give up your house. You don't have to give up your possessions. You don't have to give up anything. Be devoted to Him and let Him guide you. Serve Him in whatever capacity. Serve Him within the church. Serve Him outside of the church. Serve Him in some way. You gotta serve Somebody. Isn't that what the, the song that uh, uh, Bob Dylan sung back in 1979? Let me read the lyrics to you. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And it's true. You're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to be the doulos to the world, or you're going to be a doulos to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the world is a hard taskmaster, and the world will eat you and spit you out. It'll chew you up and spit you up. There's one who will never do that to you. There's one who sees your life as more valuable to him than anything else the world could ever see. Even if you have no skills whatsoever, you are more valuable to God. And if you were the only person on the earth when Jesus came, he would have said, I will die just for you alone. Do you know that? Because we were hopeless, helpless without him. He is the great hero. (laughs) Comic books don't have, there's no comic books on Jesus, is there? It's all the external stuff, the Luferigno and the green skin and breaking the shirt like I'm doing now, you know, just kind of, you know, flexing my muscles and my shirt separating at the seams, the very fibers, the, the tightly knit linen just coming apart. 
No, but are you a bondservant? In Exodus chapter 21, this is the law concerning bondservants. Let me read it to you. It says, now these, uh, Exodus 21, verses 1 through 6. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them, God speaking to, um, uh, to Moses. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free and pay nothing. And if he comes in by himself, he shall also, at the end of those six years, he'll go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him at the end of that six years. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children come shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant says plainly, plainly, verse 5, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, and I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges and he shall also bring him to the door and to the doorpost and the master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. And all is just a little piece of metal. And they'd take your ear and stick it up next to the doorpost. And with a little thing, they would just tap it and then put that gold ring or that gold awl in your, in your ear. And that was, that was a, a symbol that you're a servant by your own will. You're going to serve the master for the rest of your life. He's treated you well. And you're going to serve him. Is he, is he a good Lord to you? Let me ask you that. Has he really, has he ever disappointed you? Certainly he hasn't always been on time from your perspective, right? Oftentimes he waits till the 11th hour, sometimes 11, 59 and 59 seconds. I've seen that happen so many times. And is God upset about that? No, but what happens in the process of that waiting and you're right to the edge and you're like, man, if he doesn't come through today, I'm pulling out the gold card. I'm gonna pull out the credit card. I'm just gonna do it going to put it on credit. I don't have it. I can't even pay for it, but I'm going to put it on credit because if it doesn't happen today, that's what I'm doing. And then at the very last second, you get a phone call. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Yeah, I got a new uh, refrigerator. I heard that yours died. Yeah, we just got this brand new one, but they, they double ordered one. They sent it and they said, don't worry about sending it back. So I thought, hey, you want it? No, I really don't. I'm going to go pay for it on a credit card. Thank you with high interest. See you in debtor's jail. <laughs> No. He, in, the, in the waiting, that's where the process, that's where the good stuff happens. That's where he works in us. So are you a bondservant? Are you a bondservant? You know, let this mind be in us. God wants us to be like that. He wants to be, for us to be like a, a bondservant. In Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is equal with God. But he made himself, verse 7, here it is, of no reputation, taking the form of what? A bondservant, a doulos. That's what we've been talking about. Jesus became the doulos. Remember in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way for this to, for the salvation of man to occur, Lord, let it go or, or make it happen. But nonetheless, isn't that what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane? But nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he knew that was the only way. And he submitted himself. Isn't that what it says? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which is one of the worst forms of capital punishment the world has ever invented the worst form of punishment. It'd be so much easier just to shoot the person, to run them through with a sword and get it over with. 
Ah, but the crucifixion, boy, the, the Romans really knew how to do that. They could keep somebody alive for days, and it, they would beg for death before they would end it. That's how excruciating it was. And Jesus took that punishment for us, for us. And I think I'm going to include this verse in here, and then we're going to move on here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, it's very applicable to us today, especially with all the things that we see going on in our, in our world. It says, therefore, Peter says to the church, he said, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Isn't that what happened recently with the, um, you know, you read, you combine this with Romans chapter 13, these governments, these things that are in place, God has put them in place to slow down the spread of sin, to come against evildoers. Isn't that what happened even in our own country with Soleimani? Qasem Soleimani, the one who had killed a number, hundreds of Americans who was responsible for the U.S. Embassy in Iraq to be uh, destroyed. And many other atrocities that he has done. And finally, this murderer was taken out. And God placed our government in that place to do those kinds of things. But notice, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Notice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. That means submit yourself to the authorities that are over us. And we do that as long as they don't tell us to do things that are contrary to what God tells us to do. We may not like them. They may be uh, stringent upon us, but we obey them until they say things like, you have to kill your child. Then we can say, no, not going to do that. I'm going to obey God. You get my point? So, learn to be a bondservant. Learn to be a bondservant. Notice, he says, to those who are called and sanctified. Somebody who is appointed, that's literally what the word means, and sanctified, to make holy, to be purified, to consecrate, to hallow, to be separated from evil, and to be separated and, 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 um, and dedicated to God. Do you see the difference? That's what sanctification is. It's sanctification, it's separating from something that's evil, that's not good, and devoting it and dedicating it to God. That is what sanctification is, to be sanctified, to be separated from and dedicated to. That's why we dedicated Ivy this morning. We dedicated her to Jesus. The world cannot have a hold of her. Cannot. And may the Lord get a hold of her life at an early age. But notice that we're called, uh, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. The idea here is guarded. We're, we're uh, to keep from loss or injury, to keep an eye upon, to preserve, to attend carefully to. And see, that's what Jesus does for each of us. He is looking out for you. Do you know that? He's got an eye out for you. He's got an eye. And then finally, verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy. Mercy is such a wonderful word. It's giving to somebody, uh, withholding something that somebody does deserve. And see, by God showing us mercy, he placed on his son something that we deserve, the death of man, 
Eternal death, we deserve that. But in God's mercy, he withheld from us that punishment and placed it rather upon his son, Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate form of mercy, withholding something that is deserved. And peace, certainly peace. You'll know the peace of God. Peace from harm, peace from difficulty, or, or, or I'm sorry, peace from uh, physical safety, uh, havoc and war, and also peace of soul, knowing that you belong to Christ. Isn't there a peace that passes all understanding when you're a believer? And love. Notice, this is agape love. This is benevolent love. This is love that doesn't care about its own. It's rather more concerned about giving up for others. That is what real benevolent love is. That's the highest form of love. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And whatever that means, that is more of the area, more of the idea of agape love. Because that's what Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. He, that's what he did. And he goes on in verse 3, and he says, Beloved, I was, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, here it is, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all his saints. To all his saints. To contend, it means to, to fight, to struggle. The, the, one of the root words in this word is, uh, is, a, is a Greek word that literally means to struggle, to compete for a prize. It's like two gymnasts striving together in, in, in some kind of Olympic game. It's like two boxers in the heavyweight championship. They're contending for the heavyweight belt. The belt is there before them, and they're pounding each other in that ring for that prize. They're, com- they're contending for each we're contending for that prize. And just like Jude is encouraging the believers of his day to contend for the faith, we need to as well. Because unlike any other time in history, our Christian faith and even physical churches are under attack. Do you remember that one that happened recently? Just talking about the physical building in, in, in uh, Texas recently. Remember that man came in and killed two people. And within six seconds, that FBI agent who was retired, who was on the security team, took that man out before he had a chance to harm anybody else. Ten years ago, we never heard anything like that. I forget what the date is, but it never really occurred. Thank God we have the Lord looking out for us, and we also have men trained here in this fellowship. They know what to do. But not only the physical building and the people, but also our faith itself. You know, Christian schools are under attack from liberal and local state administrators trying to force upon them their liberal ideas and ideologies, seeking to get laws passed that force not only private Christian schools, but also homeschoolers to be more dependent on them and whatever umbrella they can get them nicely tucked under. So many bills being passed by our governor right now. Pray for him. But Christians... Christian workers, Christian organizations, Chick-fil-A, I mean, good grief, you know. They, they, God has blessed them for, you know, kind of holding to the, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing some strange things now, but they, they were holding to their guns and, and really uh, doing well, and God was blessing them, you know. But, boy, the world hates, hates the witness of Jesus because it convicts them of their sin, doesn't it? I needed to be convicted of my sin. Or otherwise, I wasn't going to change. There needs to be a radical invasion before there's radical change. Is that true? I needed Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, to come into my heart and convict me deeply of my sin before I would do anything. 
Prior to that, I was just continuing in my own sin. Thank you very much. Happy very much with my own motto, which was, if it feels good, just do it. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be afraid to be hated. If you're being hated because you're doing wrong things, then change your behavior. But if you're being hated because you're not doing right things, or I'm sorry, if you're being hated because you are doing right things, that's okay. Nobody likes to be hated. Anybody like to be hated? Yeah, man, I love it. Love being hated. No, nobody likes to be hated. And therein lies the rub. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to contend for the faith? Are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to appropriate it in your life and put feet on the things that you're reading rather than just hearing it here and letting it go out here? Folks, we have to, now is the time in history of the church where we need to rise up, not with arms and guns and all that stuff, that's nonsense. I mean, you can do that if you want. I mean, you can, you know, whatever. But we're not here to win a physical battle. We're here, it's a spiritual battle. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with principalities and high places. It's with the enemy of our souls. Satan, you are in a spiritual battle. You don't bring a gun to a spiritual battle. You're going to lose. You don't bring a knife. You don't bring nuclear weapons to the table as Christians to fight this war. You'll lose. But why don't we believe that prayer is effective? Where have we gone? Our, our prayer service on Tuesday nights the least attended thing on the church calendar. And I'm thankful that there's some new people coming. I'm so thankful for that. I pray that our church, our, our, prayer, sir, our prayer time on Tuesday night gets so big that we have to actually do it in here. That would be so wonderful. But we don't believe in prayer. We've lost touch. We need to come back to our first love. Make your calling and your election sure. Isn't that what Second Peter says? In chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your call and your election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And he had a list of things, which I don't have time to read to you, but make your calling and your election sure. As God called you to be his child, you're sitting in the seat. Probably, do you know what his call is on your life? The very thing that, that he's created you to do? If you don't know what it is, start praying about it. It's not too late. It's not too late. Get to know what he wants you to do for him. Get in the game. But first, sit at his feet. Be merry and set at his feet and then find out and then go out and do it with all of your heart but never neglect spending time alone with Jesus. He is your source of everything. You cannot, you don't have any power outside of him. Isn't that what he said to the disciples? You, without me you can do nothing. And I, I've been trying to disprove that statement for many years because I think that I can do something. Well, God, I have these skills. I can do this. I can do that. And God says you can take all those things and throw them out the window because I don't need any of it. I can use it. I'm more concerned about you, Rob. I'm more concerned about you, God would say to you. I don't I didn't I didn't create you for what you could do for me. I want you. I want you. And see, this is why it's so important that we're baptized, that we're filled with the Spirit of God. Have you prayed that lately? Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. I need boldness. 
You may be the kind of person who's not very bold, and maybe your personality isn't as such, but that's okay. God can take whatever you've got, and he can light it. He can use it. Don't use it as an excuse. Don't hide behind it and say, God, I'm a kind of a timid person. This is not really, I'm not an evangelist. Well, you don't have to be an evangelist. But you can be sitting in uh, an appointment at the dentist office in the waiting room there, and you can be looking over at somebody crying or, or looking like they're distraught, and you start up a conversation. Feed them. Give them something to hang on to. Tell them, if nothing else, that Jesus died for you and he loves you. Do you know that? you willing to do that? We're not going to get to what I wanted to today. The time has almost passed. But we're going to pick up in part two of this next week because it's, it's worth getting into now that we got this introduction <laughs> established. But contend for the faith. And if you don't have the boldness, there's no, re- there's no reason to not pray for it. You remember when Peter and the apostles... Uh, after the day of Pentecost, where uh, Peter and John were addressing, uh, they were re- addressing the religious leaders after healing a, a lame man in the temple, and it's recorded for us in Acts four verses seven through thirty-one. But in, in that verse, he said, "And when they had set them in the midst, when the the religious leaders set the uh, disciples in the in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this?" And then Peter noticed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and there is all that was needed. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I need every single day. That's what you need. And why is that? Because what does it say? In verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, they were untrained, they, and they marveled, and they realized that, that, he, that they had been with Jesus. And later on, they would go to their companions after being let go, and they would go in with the other disciples in the upper room. And, and in verse 29 of that same chapter says, Now, Lord, and this is their prayer, look on their threats, the threats that they've been threatening us, and grant to your servants that with what all boldness, that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And notice, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Boy, what a great Sunday morning that would be. That the Spirit of God, not in some phony display like you see on TNN or TBN or whatever, real stuff, where the Spirit of God just fell upon us in such a wonderful way. We don't have to... Do you think that that could happen? Wouldn't it be glorious if it did? It would be the best service we've ever experienced. And that, that's up to him, but are we willing? Are we, are we expectant? Do we desire that? Do you think you need that? Because I know that I need it. I need to have that confidence, that assurance of what God has done in me. Because here's the thing, if I don't have that boldness, chances are I'm not going to contend for the faith. And again, this is part one of the message. It will finish next week. But if I don't have that boldness, if I'm not filled with the Spirit of God, chances are I'm not going to open my mouth either. But when you open your mouth and you say, Lord, I am sick and tired of being the silent witness, which is really not a witness at all. I'm tired of being afraid. What are you afraid of? Ask yourself the question, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of telling somebody the thing that they needed to hear all their life? I remember recently I I shared with, I think it was somebody at Wegmans, and it was probably one of the tellers, you know, typically I'll I'll do that. And 
It was a young girl. She's still in, she went to Penfield High School. And as she's scanning my stuff and putting it in the bag, I said, uh, I, I looked at her name tag and I forget what it was. And I said, uh, do you know that, uh, this is going to sound maybe strange to you, but do you know that God has a plan for your life and that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sin? And he died for my sin, by the way, too. But do you know that he loves you, that he really, really loves you? In spite of everything that you're going through, in spite of anything that you've ever done, and it was that simple. And she looked at me, and she was like, she had that look on her face, and I said, you probably never even heard of that before. And she goes, I've never, ever heard that. She never heard the name. And that's the culture today. Nobody talks about Jesus anymore. We, the church, need to talk about Jesus again. Don't be afraid. There's power in that name. There's no name greater than the name of Jesus. When Jesus shows up, demons flee. They're frightened of him. And when Jesus comes, there's deliverance. When Jesus shows up, there is healing, real healing, not the weird stuff you see on television. You know, some of the, I think sometimes the, the, the most wonderful things happen when the, when the cameras aren't on, when there's not a lot of people. Can I share with you one thing that happened a few years ago, and then we'll stop and pray? I'll end with this. A few years ago, I, actually it's been several years now, probably uh, seven to ten years ago, Pastor Jeff was actually in Israel. I, I didn't go on that trip. I was here. But he went to Israel, and, and they were having a Bible study in, garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And for those of you who are going on the trip in March, we're going to go there again in the same place, the Garden of Gethsemane. But while they were there, uh, Scott Gallatin, I think, was teaching a Bible study, and he was just teaching the Bible. He was just sharing a couple passages while they were there, and then they were going to pray. All of a sudden, this woman, an, an older woman who was um, on crutches, and she'd been on crutches for months because of her foot. Something was wrong with her foot, and she literally could not. She, they, they actually had to help her move her around. I mean, because you have to move a little quicker, you can't hobble around on crutches. Some people they just grab her and lift her up. A couple guys, you know, a couple of you know big guys like you know like me, and uh, I'm only kidding. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think of myself like that. Um, I know you don't either, but anyway, so. They pick her up, or you know, they're carrying her around Israel, helping her up, you know, up steps. These two guys doing all that. Well, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Pastor Scott's, he, he's not even talking about healing. He's not talking about anything. It wasn't a service about healing. It was, he was just reading, he was just sharing the Word of God. And all of a sudden, she starts to squeal. She starts to squeal. And everyone's kind of looking around like, okay, what's going on here, right? She is totally enthralled. She's completely amazed. She starts to move her foot, and she's like, I think the Lord just healed me. It's a small group of people. No cameras. They weren't even reading like, I mean, it wasn't even like, let's open up and talk about what Jesus talks about healing. And then they start talking about healing, and it's like, and that woman over there with the crutches, you stand up, man, because God's got, He's, you know, you, you're going to get healed today if you just... Send in your check for $1,000. Then and only then will he heal you. He'll even heal the next person next to you if they give 500 But no, none of that nonsense. She, she starts dancing. And everyone around is freaking out. They're going, wow, the Lord just healed this woman. And there was no fanfare. 
They weren't even talking about healing. They were just somewhere, and God just says, you know what, I'm going to bless her right now. Right in this area where I myself went through excruciating agony, I'm going to take away her agony. What a sweet thing, and I'll never forget that. I know Pastor Jeff was blown away. Everybody was blown away. All they could do was witness it and just smile and give thanks to God. Isn't that wonderful? And see, that's how wonderful he is. That's how wonderful he is. But we need that. We need that boldness. We need to be in the place of contending for the faith. Are you willing to fight? Not physically. Don't get me wrong. But contending for the faith is standing on it and proclaiming it with boldness and defending it. Are you a defender of the faith? Or are you content with just people just bashing Jesus, bashing his word and saying nothing? Or do you say, you know what? You don't understand what you're talking about because what I read in here is true. More true than you are standing before me, what is written here is truer than you physically standing before me in the flesh. I can see you standing before me, and yet the book that I'm holding in my hand is even more true than your physical being here in front of me. That's how much confidence you can have in Jesus. That's how much confidence you can have in the Word of God. The Word of God, know it. Live it. Contend for it. Let it transform your life. Let's stand together and let's pray. Don't be discouraged. I know these aren't real easy to hear. But please understand that the Lord loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Find out what it is. I remember there was a time when I I, I, I was so anxious. I was in such angst about knowing the will of God. I wanted to know the will of God so bad. I didn't know how to find out. How do I do this? I don't know how to do it. And I still don't. But I know what one thing is just surrender and just watch him work. Don't try to muscle your way into it. When you run across an obstacle, step back and pray about it instead of just fighting through it. Because chances are you've hit a place where he says, my will is going to be done, but if you force your way through, you're going to get off, uh, off on your own will instead of my own. Sometimes it happens like that. And so find out what the will of God is. Read the word of God, you're going to find it. Is it the will of God that you work in a, uh, you know, in a casino serving drinks and being barraged by all kinds of uh, negative things? Is that his will for your life? I doubt it. Is it, is it God's will for you to be in an abusive relationship where your husband is constantly beating, it, beating you up? I doubt it. There's so many things. If you know the heart and nature of God, the will of God becomes a little easier to discern, and then you just simply walk in it and let him do the work. You don't have to fuss and fight. Father, we just pray and thank you today. Lord, help us to... To believe your word, Lord, to read it and to surrender. And Lord, to ask for boldness, Lord, I pray that you'd fill us all today, Lord, with your spirit. Lord, not in some funny business. Whenever you want, it's, it's your church, Lord. This, we belong, all of us belong to you. We can't make this happen. We can't just flip on the switch. It's something that you do. Help us to be willing to receive you and to receive that power that we need, that you told us we needed. And if you told us we needed it, are you going to withhold any good thing from those who love you? I don't think so. Because you said so in your word, Lord. So help us today. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.